Great. Uh, what a special time together. And it's just been an absolute privilege to be um, amongst this house as friends over the last few weeks, uh, seeing the Lord do incredible things. And life is obviously not rosy, and there's frustrations, and there's trials, and there's, there's things that we go through. We're, we're, we're in a battle, and, um, and we're, we're dealing with each of us who are imperfect. But I just love the way that the Lord um, is adding to our number. We've seen ridiculous overflowing generosity that I, I can't describe to people in both their time and both their gifts and their resources. Uh, we've seen the Lord touch us with miraculous healing. And you just sort of have to sit back and go, Lord, we just don't deserve this. We just don't deserve to see you moving in such a special way. And that's his goodness. And I think my challenge to each of us here is, is just don't miss it. Because um, I, I know Bill Johnson has shared on a bit, but we, we can see the mess or we can see the gold. And we can miss out on what God's doing. And it happened in the revivals through the generations where there was the group of people who encountered God because they were the ones prepared to see what he was doing and step in. And there were those who didn't encounter anything. If you look in all the ages of, of the huge revivals, there were people in the city, there, present, but not engaging because of various different things. And I just want to challenge us as a church, let's dig deep into what God has for us because I know that there's more. And as I said, we're just, we're seeing people step up to the plate, starting new initiatives, serving where they haven't served before, uh, generosity increasing in a special way, and people taking drastic steps to align their lives with God's heart. People saying, actually, as I look at my life, I just know that this area just isn't pleasing Jesus. And more than anything, I want to please him because I love him so much. And so Lord, help me to realign my life. And that is exciting to see. When we see people moving towards purity, when we start to move towards purity, that's when God starts to move. And so continue to look inwards rather than outwards and say, Lord, where, where, where is the issues in my life that you want to clean up for you to be able to use me in a special way? So we're doing the last two weeks of Nehemiah, and I hope it's been challenging to you. It's been very significant for the church. And today we're looking at what it looks like to live a sustainable vision-filled life. Because it's easy to have vision, it's easy to have great ideas, but what does it take to live that in a sustainable way that has long-term and lasting impact? So that we don't burn hot and cold and we suddenly have a great idea and it lasts for a week or two and then oh, that, that didn't work and then onto another hot idea and then we, we don't want to be people who burn hot and cold. We want to be people who have a sustained burn for God's kingdom because that's where the impact happens as we grow towards Him and the life He's called us to each and every day of our lives. Now, as a young boy, I had a dream to build a paper airplane business. And I was, I, w I was at school and I had these ideas and I was, I, I, I'd studied and my dad had taught me about uh, how to make a paper airplane with wheels. It's true. Not really wheels, but anyway. Uh, and uh, I, I learned the fastest ones, the ones that fly the longest. And so I decided, and I put some time into this, and I was like, I am going to build the business empire. And at that time, I think the price range was like 5 to 15 cents, 5 cents for the really cheap ones. But this other one that took me a bit more time was like 15 cents. And I mean, I had a plan. I was like, this is my way to significance as a grade 3 or 4 or something like that. And I think two airplane sales in you know, a whole term made me realize that my empire wasn't going to be what I, what I thought it was going to be. And I don't know the reasons. Either I didn't assess the market properly at St. John's Prep School. Maybe it was the wrong nation. Maybe it was the wrong time. Maybe it was just the wrong time of life and people weren't in the paper airplane phase. 
Maybe I misunderstood my ability, and I thought that these were of incredible significance, but others didn't view it that way. Um, and maybe I just didn't do a good enough job of marketing this incredible product. I don't know all the reasons. I haven't analyzed all of them, but it did fail. And then, take it a little bit later, I'd come back to Zimbabwe in my early 20s. I was running Zambezi holidays, and I had this idea with some friends to bring the Ambari clothing to the northern suburbs. Now, there's people doing this now, and I like to think I was ahead of the curve, and that's why it failed. But uh, we, we had this dream. So uh, my two friends, they went out, and I was supposed to be the one who, who sort of handled the sales and packaging them nicely, and we had brown paper, and we packaged the clothing. And they went out, and we, we built connections with all the men who, who bring in the big bins, and they would go through, and painstakingly, they, they chose what they thought would sell. And um, I don't think anything sold. And, um, but I still wear one of the Zoo York shirts. You might have seen me with those. And, and I'm still going strong on, it was called Kawan Clothing Business. We got logos done and everything. I mean, this was going to be an astounding business. And uh, for, for many different reasons, it also failed. And maybe, as I said, we were just uh, ahead of the curve. And um, <laughs> we ended up donating those clothes to orphanages and to friends. And uh, we also just misunderstood the sizing of people. So they went out and they were like, these clothes are brilliant. It looks like a nice size. But it turns out that most of the things that they got were extra small. And were ladies wear as well. So uh, we, we, we struggled in our market selling to men hoodies and t-shirts. So uh, that, that business didn't work as well for various reasons. But uh, if we look... Uh, that's Kevin Costner back in the day. Um, the other one that I would say on a larger scale that failed, just briefly, on myself, was I was leading Zambezi holidays and I had this idea to do the most incredible grey water system at our campsite. And it was going to be astounding. We got people in to check. We got the equipment. I went to Sabbath Trucking and we got hundreds of tires. We did, I don't know, we did seven trips from Harare to Marinier to get the tires needed for these special soakaways. We got the grey water tanks. The one thing that I forgot to check was just how deep we could actually dig at the campsite. And I didn't realize that we could only really go down about two meters before we hit rock that um, couldn't really be dug through or blown through with dynamite. Uh, and, um, and so it was a classic case of a great idea, a great project, and we went for it and we got everyone else. But without checking everything we needed to, it didn't come to pass. Let's look at this. Does anyone know what movie this is from? Waterworld. Jeez, some of you guys are movie diehards. Waterworld. So 90% of all startups fail, according to Forbes, for various reasons, and approximately 70% of new projects end up late, over budget, and on the way to the project dumpster. And here are a few. So Waterworld was supposed to take 96 days to film and $100 million. After a number of script rewrites, a director who went AWOL and a tropical storm, it left the movie directors delayed and eating up funds. Shooting started without a complete script. It lasted 150 days, so an extra 54 days and an extra $35 million on top of the budget. And due to the bad publicity of that, it got horrific box office returns, the worst in history at the time. I'm not sure if there's new ones that taken over. And it was one of the biggest flops in movie history. I didn't think it was that bad. Um, but uh, you guys can look at it and see. Great. Anyone know the plane? Close, Rich, close. Um, Airbus A380. Um, <laughs> so the Airbus A380, it's now flying. A number of airlines have it, the biggest uh, commercial passenger airplane at the moment. It was built by different teams from different parts of the globe. And what they did is they brought all the parts together to be assembled at one time in one place. What they didn't check out 
was that all those teams were using different versions of CAD design software. And when they brought all the pieces together, they didn't fit. It took them an additional two years and an extra $6.1 billion to get it to market just because of the fact that they didn't check in their project run-up whether they were using the same program software. I don't know if any of you have driven in one of these or if you've actually seen one. It's unlikely. The Sinclair C5 was a car without a roof, as you can see. It was built in the United Kingdom, but uh, the designers didn't take into account that it gets quite cold and wet there. And uh, so they thought this was going to be a brilliant, easy-to-get-around London car. And uh, they couldn't quite believe it when people just weren't interested in buying it in cold England. On top of that, it couldn't reverse, which is needed in those places. And steering was very, very bad because, as you can see, the person is trying to stare below them, which uh, was a difficult position, and it had a very bad turning circle. Surprisingly, 17,000 units were sold. I thought that it would be uh, a lot less than that, but the company filed for bankruptcy 11 months later. There's some ladies. This was advertising, not reality. They did this to advertise what it could do. Sunshine. And yeah. <laughs> sunshine, which is one day in England. And if you miss that day, it's tough. Coca-Cola. Uh, in the early 1980s, Coke was losing ground to Pepsi, particularly because of some hard-hitting commercials Pepsi was doing. So they decided to come out with a new version of Coke that they modeled to taste like Pepsi, and they called it New Coke. So they released this in 1985, and uh, whilst people tested it, and different people tested it, and it fared fairly well on the test, those tests turned out to be misleading, and Coke abandoned the product two weeks after launch. The sales were so bad, they abandoned it two weeks after launch, and in fact, they then changed the name to Coca-Cola Classic before it was removed from the market, because that didn't work either. Great, then I think this is the final one that I will show. That is the Samsung Galaxy Note 7. <laughs> what hasn't already been said about the Galaxy Note 7? Um, one of Samsung's biggest flagship phones last year. It had a little problem where occasionally it would catch fire. Now, this wasn't a lot of them, but occasionally it would catch fire or explode. There was a car that burned down as a result of it, and uh, almost immediately as those reports came through, it was banned from all airlines and many other places, and every single one was recalled by Samsung. So initially they gave people um, sort of a return fee, and then they brought the whole line back in, which obviously shows that they, they self-owned the problem. But because of one tiny little element that caused this huge problem to an entire line. Now, all of these have something for us to learn in terms of seeing a vision or a project come to life. And it doesn't matter whether it's a vision for our personal walk with Jesus, whether it's a vision for our kids, a vision for our family, a vision for a new initiative, a vision for our business. That's not really the issue. What we want to do is we don't want to see the visions God puts on our heart ending up like a number of those projects. We want to see them flourish and be all that they can be in a sustainable vision-filled life that God has called us to. And as Christ followers, we want to minimize the flops and failures. Yes, we learn from them, but it's much better to learn from other people's mistakes than your own. So if you can learn from other people's mistakes, better. We'll always learn something from our failures. We always will. God's so good. He works everything for our good. But the ideal is that we learn from other people's mistakes and failures um, and that we maximize the sustainable successes. God's heart is that the visions that he gives us, that God given, come to pass. He wants them to come to pass more than we ever could. 
And so that is his heart for us. He wants to see them come to pass in a sustainable way for many years to come. He wants us to live fruitful lives that impact many others for his kingdom. But this will only happen with a clear God-given vision as well as putting in place measures to ensure that it comes to pass. And Nehemiah 12, which we're going to look at partly today, and then I've got some other passages as well, is really a lesson that Nehemiah is teaching us in putting in place structures to ensure that a vision is there for the long run. And so Nehemiah 12, where I'm going to go through it in, in quick little sections because I have other verses to look through. And interestingly enough, it's mainly names. So the main passage is names. And you might go, well, why are you actually looking at it? Because those names represent Nehemiah and Ezra putting in place people to ensure that the visions that they had for the Israelite people happened. Without those people, we wouldn't have seen what was supposed to happen come to pass. And so verses 1 to 7, it's literally names. These are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. Um, And then I'm not going to say the others um, because I don't want to embarrass you guys with my amazing lingo and things like that. Um, Anyway, so he put in place chief priests, one to seven. So he put in place these people to be chief priests in the area. Eight to nine, he put in place Levites, those in charge of managing the temple, in charge of songs and thanksgiving. So they stood beside each other in service and they were in charge, verse eight, of the songs of thanksgiving. And then he goes on a long list of others doing the service in the temple and around the city. So verses 9 all the way down to verse 23 is people who are heads of households. And they were put in place and put in charge of making sure things operate as they should. Then verse 24, we see that uh, the chiefs of the Levites, uh, another bunch of names, and their brothers who stood opposite them, their role was to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. So people were put in place just to praise and give thanks to God, watch after watch, to ensure that this God-given vision happened and people had the right perspective on it. Verse 25 uh, were gatekeepers. So they were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gate. So they had more of a security role, equally important, the storehouses of the temple and of the city. And then it goes through a number of others who helped in those duties. And then it jumps down to verse 36. And these were the people in charge of musical instruments. So that's what they're there for. Um, They wanted to make a joyful noise. Probably not as good as this morning. Sounded awesome. Well done, guys. But uh, they were in charge of instruments used for songs. And then it lists a number of others and their duties. And it talks about where people were stationed. And then it gets down to at the end, verse 44. And on that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather, gather them in uh, to the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites. So now people were there and they're in charge of collecting, in charge of making sure that everything was given to who it should be given to. And finally, verse 46 and 47, you see that what Nehemiah doing wasn't a once-off for a short period of time. This was something that God had instituted years before. It talks about the times um, of past. In verse 47, And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers. So it's talking about the days. In their days. It wasn't just a day or a week or a festival. In the days. The gatekeepers, they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set 
um, that apart, which was for the sons of Aaron. So it's an amazing passage which actually shows someone putting in place people to ensure that something happened as it should. And I want each of us to know today that the vision God puts on your heart for your personal life, your personal walk with Him, for your family, for your children, for your business, for church, will only be sustainable if you put in place the right structures, the right people, the right planning, the right wisdom to ensure that it comes across as it should. And God wants to help us with that, so He will help us make that a reality. So before I get on to five tips that I hope will help us do that as we're praying and as we're dreaming about things, um, I wanted to look at three important areas of life that Nehemiah understood and that he lived out that were essential to him achieving what he achieved. And the first one uh, comes from Ephesians 3 verse 20. And if you think back to the start of the series, the amount of people who were here, God put on his heart to see a nation transformed. Now for one individual, that is a ridiculously crazy thing to think that God would use you to do that. But he trusted God in the process and he stepped out in faith. And so he lived this out. So it's talking about, this is talking about God. And it says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power and not just an external power, but a power that is working within us. And this is the power and this is the person of God that Nehemiah believed in. That's who he believed in and that's who he stepped out in faith for. And this is the big picture for each of our lives. If we're going to live the life God's called us to, we need to have in our minds the belief that he wants to do immeasurably more than we in our own strength could ask or imagine in our lives and the lives of others around us. That's the natural Christian life, is to believe him for the impossible. And so as Christ follows, we need to see life with hope, with the expectation that good and impossible in earthly sense things are happening. That's the normal Christian life. So if you're looking and going, well, I don't have hope for life. I don't have hope for a future. I don't believe that he can do the impossible in my life, either because I'm not worthy or I just don't think he can. Then you need to look at your belief in who Christ is. And it's your belief in what he has done in your life if you're a Christ follower and what he wants to do. So the question for you today is, are you asking God to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine in your life? Are you asking him that? Because we should be as Christ followers. Because for him, it's natural. Amen. Amen. It may feel unnatural to us because in our strength, it will never come off. But with him... The impossible becomes possible. So you asking him to do a measure more than you can ask or imagine in your personal walk with him, in your marriage, in your children's lives, in your friendships, in your finances, in your business. Are you asking him? Not for your own sake, but for his glory. Or are you going, nah, I'm just, I'm just aiming for mediocre. Because God can't really do it. He might do it for other people, but... He can't do it for me. No, he can. And he wants to. It just takes you fixing your eyes on him and trusting in him to be the one who does it. Don't settle for the standard. Don't settle for the norm. Don't settle for past experiences. Don't settle for brokenness that you've seen around. Fix your eyes on him. The one who does the impossible in our lives. Lift your eyes to Christ. 
Let him transform your heart. Truly give your life to him and get ready for real life to begin. Joe spoke earlier about what we need is him. It's so important how we approach him. And it's him. Pursue him for all you're worth and give him everything. Because for some of us, we're sitting going, but God, you're not really working in my life. I'm not really seeing you do the impossible. But it's because you're trying to do that by giving him 70% and trying to do the 30% on your own. Never going to happen. The time God moves, it was when we lay it all on the line and we lay everything at his feet and say, actually, God, my life is yours. Do with it what you want. That's when we see real life. That's when you see it come to pass. So Nehemiah understood that. The next thing that Nehemiah lived through and understood, which we've covered in the last few weeks, are these two passages. Romans 5, verse 3 to 4. Not only so, he's been talking before about the tough things. We also glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then James 1 verse 2 to 4. And the amazing thing is, is that this is what someone separately prayed in the prayer meeting. And it's amazing when no one knows what you're preaching on and then God affirms things. So this is what was prayed in the prayer meeting this morning. James 1 verse 2 to 4. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. A great joy when you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect. And look at the response. Look at what will happen in your life so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But it's just interesting that getting to the place of maturity and getting to the place of of completion will take endurance and it will take hard stuff. So Nehemiah stepped out in faith. He went to sort out the walls, to rebuild the walls. I don't think he knew that the people building would be there with swords in one hand and building with others because they were getting attacked on either side. I don't think he expected he would have faced the conflict that he faced in seeing that vision come to pass. But did it come to pass? Yes. Would it have come to pass if he gave up the first sign of tough stuff? No. We wouldn't have the story to encourage and inspire us. But in a sense, we need to understand that the trial and the perseverance and the tough things is a necessity in bringing about God's work in our lives personally And in his kingdom. Consider it great joy. That's mind blowing. (laughs) Paul would say to us. Consider it great joy. When you experience trials. Are you and I joyful in trial? (laughs) Trials are inevitable. The Bible tells us. To glory in and rejoice in them. Friends to live out the vision. That God has for each of us. There are going to be trials of many kinds. And we need to be prepared for those. We don't need to be searching for the trials. Obviously not. We're searching and we're going after the vision. But just know that they are going to come. Know that those trials will happen. Trials of many kinds. Be ready for these and be prepared to push through. To fight the spiritual battles ahead. To fight even the battles in your own life. The sin in your own life. Because that will also be a trial that prevents you from living all out for God. Pursue Christ and let him mold you through the trial. I've seen so many people over the years stop pursuing God's vision because things got tough. And so often you're looking on going, you're almost there. What you have is a God-given vision. And the trials are going to happen. They're going to come. But fix your eyes on Him and He'll pull you through. But if our eyes move and divert from Christ, then so often that's when we sit back and go, 
It's just too much. It's not going to happen. So keep your eyes fixed solely on him. The encouraging thing is, is from those verses, in many respects, the trials and the tough things, the things we need to endure through, are proof that God is doing something special. Because in many respects, if life is just perfect, and if there are no issues, I would actually start to question and go, maybe, just possibly, maybe, you aren't living the impossible life God has called you to. So don't quit on the vision God's given you for your personal walk with Him because you don't experience immediate breakthrough. I struggled with this so much as a teenager. I was like, okay, Lord, I'm just so excited to hear your voice more. And so I'm going to get up early and read my Bible and you're going to speak to me. And then after like four days of going, I haven't just had this ridiculous breakthrough, but obviously not going to happen. So what's the point in quiet times? Push through. In your personal walk with Jesus, dive in, dig deep. When it feels like a bit of a desert, you'll find the well of water. But you've got to dig. So push through in your walk with him. Don't quit on building a great marriage because it's hard. Don't go, ah, oh, it's just it's going to be the status quo. This is, this is how it's going to be. Push through in what God's called you to. Look at his picture of marriage and what he says marriage is. His reflection of his love for the church and vice versa. And say, God, that is, it may look like the impossible vision now. But I'm going after that because that is what you want it to be like. And you're the one who's going to help it get there. We've got to have those perspectives. Maybe he's given you a vision for your business, but it's not working and it's difficult and it's hard and there's opposition. Keep your eyes on him. Pursue it. Maybe he's given you a vision for local church or for a local community initiative, but there's trials happening. Lean into him and persevere. We don't get God doing more than we can ask or imagine without perseverance and trial. Not going to happen. So be prepared for it and push on through it. My prayer is that we would be a church full of perseverance, character, hope, and maturity. So a quick self-check while you're sitting here, while you're listening to the Holy Spirit. How are you doing in the areas of hope, endurance, perseverance? How are you doing personally? And you'll know. But how are you doing? Are you a person overflowing with hope? overflowing with perseverance when you need an endurance. If not, don't beat yourself up. Just ask God. Ask Him, and He will help. What happens in your life and in your walk with Christ when trial comes? You suddenly run from Him and say, God, I'm, I'm done. It's a tough trial. I'm, I'm done. Or do you say, Lord, teach me and train me through this trial. Help me to be more like you, and I know you're going to pull me out the other side because that's how good you are. So Nehemiah knew that. That's why he pushed on through the trials. That's why the wall got built. That's why things were put in place to sustain what was happening in the temple and around the city. Because he pushed through trial. But why did he push through trial? How was he able to? Well, look at this verse. I thank my God every time I remember you. This is Paul talking and he's talking about the Philippian church. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, the key one for today. Being confident of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so Nehemiah knew from the bottom of his heart and was confident in his heart that God was the one doing the work in his life, that if this truly was a God-given vision, God would bring it to completion. And so whatever you're praying for your personal life, for your kids, for your marriage, for your business, the list could go on. You can be certain that as you pursue Christ, 
as you keep him number one, he will bring to completion everything that he has to do in your life. He will. It's a promise from him. And you can be confident in that. You can be at peace in that. So remember those three areas that Nehemiah did. Believe that God is going to do the impossible in your life and he wants to in different settings in your life. Be ready for the trials and be confident that he is the one who will sustain you and will bring it to completion. So as I close, last five minutes, what are a few little tips to help us as we live this out? And the reason why I want us to look through these tips is that next week as we close, I'm going to be looking at a society being reformed. I'm going to be looking at neighborhoods and cities and nations being transformed. But it starts with our personal transformation. And so the first one, friends, let's walk with Christ. And let's, as I shared, I think two weeks ago, let's not just do it in a lip service way. Because that's so easy, particularly if we've been Christ followers for a while. It's really easy to know things in our head, but not to let them affect our heart. So easy. And so let's really walk with Christ, Him being our priority, because then we'll hear God idea, God ideas, not just our own. That'll prevent us from burning hot and cold, and it will help us to pursue through the tough times. Is Jesus your first love? Is He the first one you go to in trial? Is He the one you speak about most of the time? You can analyze this. Think about your conversations the past week, your conversations with friends and family. How much of your speech has been about Christ? How much of what you say and how you say it has been, if Christ was sitting next to you, you'd be so chuffed to say, Lord, I'm, I'm just so happy about how I chatted to people this last week. I know it pleased your heart. I know it warmed your heart. We need to ask ourselves those tough questions. Is he the one who you want to please above everything else? And that's an important question because when things are difficult in life, if he isn't the ultimate one to please, our sinful nature will take over so quickly, so quickly. And there's going to be this constant battle between our spirit man and our earthly man. And if we aren't dead certain that we're going to please Jesus above everything else, we'll just naturally fall back into our sinful way of living. And we need to know deep down that Christ is the one we care about most and that will help us to align our lives. We need to see every aspect of our lives through the lens of the gospel if we're to call ourselves Christ followers. Being a Christ follower is not about what we do. That's true. We're, we're saved by grace. But there should be fruit. And so we can, we can look back on our lives and go... Is my, the way that I see things looking more and more the way that Christ sees things? Because for Paul and for the early Christians and many across the globe, it really was to live as Christ and to die as gain. So we do need to look at our life and say, does it look like Christ? And if not, how can I get it there? We should see Christ in our speech, in our attitude, in the way we operate. So that's the first one, walk with Christ. Next one, have a clear vision. Be clear on what your vision is. What could your walk with Christ look like? If you could, in your wildest ideas, dream of what your relationship with Jesus could look like, what would it be? If you could dream about what a God-honoring marriage would look like, what would it look like? For a new project on your heart, if you could dream about things God has said to you, and for a number of you, God has put specific things on your heart years ago. That's what you think about when you go to sleep. 
Maybe it's something that you heard when you were a child, and now you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and it just keeps coming back to you going, was that just a silly dream, or could God have been saying something? I'm sure he was saying something, and it's never too late. But ask God for those visions from him. Nehemiah knew what God had asked him to do, but I'm sure it took time. It's going to take you time as well. If it's your personal walk with God, take time to go, what do I want it to look like? If it's your marriage, sit down as spouses and say, what's the ideal? What is the marriage ideal as God intended it, and how are we going to get there? If it's a business that you own, dream about what you would like it to look like and how it's going to get there. So be clear on that. It's going to take some time, but you'll get there. What need will this meet? Obviously, people didn't need paper airplanes. Or they, weren't, they just weren't very good. And maybe people didn't need Kawan clothing at that time. Maybe we just didn't think about it. But so often, we can have an idea. But maybe actually it is the wrong timing. Or maybe it's our own idea rather than God's. And so we just need to look in and go, what need is this going to meet? What need is this going to meet in my personal life? When I'm walking with Jesus, what need is this going to meet for others around me, for my kids? What need is this going to meet in the marketplace. Ask God what the need is. Next one, what people are going to be required to make this come to life? Who should be on your team and what are their gifts? Well, if it's about your family, it's obvious that if you're, if you're married, it's, it's your spouse, teammate. If it's a family thing that you're wanting to see live out, it's your kids, you're involving them. If it's a community project, maybe it's you choosing and saying, well, who has the heart for this? that I want to see happen. If it's your business, maybe it's, maybe it's your board. Maybe it's friends who work with you in the business. But who's your team? Maybe I'll just look across at um, Adele. I know she's leading a school, but, but who, who are the people for her? Maybe it's staff, maybe it's leader team who, who are going to make this vision come to life. And so it's for us to sit down and say, who are the key people? There's going to be many others, but who are the keys who are going to make this happen? And then taking time over that. So who are the key people to see it fulfilled? then continual assessment. Review and reassess. I didn't have the opportunity with paper airplanes because there was nothing to assess. But for others who are going on a longer term, maybe it's, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's your kids as they grow from week to week, from month to month, maybe it's uh, an initiative you've started. Continual assessment to say how we're doing. And Nehemiah was doing that. We're going to see more of that next week. But he was doing that. He was following on the wall. How's it going? What changes do we need to make? Okay, we're getting attacked here. Let's adjust here. Continual assessment of what's happening and where it's happening. It's so important. So review, reassess, alter directions. If it's your walk with the Lord, maybe once a week, before you have your quiet time or on a Monday or whenever it is, just say, how are things going? Am I feeling connected to God? Am I not? Should I change things up a bit? Should I read something different? How am I doing? How's my walk with the Lord growing? If it's in your marriage, maybe it's just a weekly check-in or a monthly check-in saying, hey, how are we doing? How are things going? Are we connecting? Where can we improve? What do we need to say sorry for? Move on. Maybe as your, your business project or anything else like that, it's, it's just checking in and each week going, how are things going? Where can we improve? Where can we tweak things? Where can we grow? Two more. You guys have done very well. Know that trials will come. We've just looked at that, but know that that is going to happen. Nehemiah had setbacks. He had attacks. And the vision that you have for your life, that God's given you, is going to have setbacks, twists, unexpected turns. Not that we want, but it's going to happen. Keep your eyes on Christ, keep prayerful, and keep pushing on. And the final reminder, as I close, is know that he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And he will bring to completion 
that which He has placed on your heart for your life. He will. Might not be as early as we wanted. Might not be in the way that we wanted. But He will bring it to completion. So just as the Lord did it for Nehemiah, with putting a vision on his heart, with taking him through trials in faith, physical trials, and then putting in place structures for sustainability, I know that he'll do it for you. And I want to encourage those of you who've already started to put this in place. And I know there's a number, I've met with a number, there's a number of initiatives started, people transforming their personal lives and saying, I want to get this right with the Lord. People working on marriage issues. It's exciting to see. It's exciting to people saying, I know God has something that is bigger than at the moment I'm living and I want to press into it. So go for it. Well done. It takes humility. It takes time. But it's worth every little bit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the privilege of meeting together as your house. Thank you for being brothers and sisters unified across wealth brackets and across color because of you, King Jesus. Thank you that we are one man in Christ. Thank you for being able to sing to you. Thank you for bringing healing. Thank you for words of encouragement. Thank you for touching us. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for the work that you're doing amongst us as a church, starting new initiatives, transforming our lives to make them more like you, working on on marriages, relationships, seeing restoration, seeing new business ideas come to life in a tough climate. Lord Jesus, I ask as a people that you would help us to dream big, that we would ask you for your vision for our life, and that we would step out in faith, and we would see you do more than we can ask or imagine, that we would see you do the impossible amongst us, and not for our glory, and not for our fame, but for yours, Jesus. Because it is in you that we find purpose. It is in you that we find life and life in abundance. It's in you that we find hope where there's hopelessness. It's in you where we find joy in the place of sorrow. It's in you and it's through you and it's for you. And I ask as a people that we would look more and more like you each day that we truly would live out that Philippians 1.21 of to live is you. To live is Christ. That every aspect of our lives we would continue to assess and say, Lord Jesus, does it look like you? Does what I say look like you? Does my ad- the attitude of my heart look like you? Purify us. Make us into the bride that you want us to be. And as a result, I ask that you would bring many people into this house. Because as we often pray, we know that the harvest is truly plentiful. And what a privilege for us to be workers in your harvest. Your amazing name we pray. Amen.